Yeah, dial it back this weekend, folks. Race number four of the NASCAR Cup Series season is complete from Phoenix Raceway. We're now done with the West Coast Swing. This is Stacking Denny's. I'm Jordan McAbee of FantasyRacingOnline.com. My co-host, Nick Giffen of the Action Network. Stuart Haas Racing back in victory lane, but not the guy that we kind of thought it would be with his record at Phoenix. Chase Briscoe takes the win at the short one-mile flat track. I don't know about you, Nick, but I did not see that coming at all. I, I thought Harvick would be good. Uh, we all knew Blaney would be good. He was, you know, the fastest car for a lot of that race. Chase Elliott was up there. But Chase Briscoe led 100-something laps and gets his first Cup Series win. And all of a sudden, like, once again, this season is pretty unpredictable because we have Ross Chastain finishing up front at Phoenix. We have uh, Tyler Reddick, who was fast in practice. Kurt Busch snuck in there and finished top five. Daniel Suarez, top 10. Said it before, I'll say it again. This is turning. This is already turning out to be the best season ever. I know people didn't like last week's race at Phoenix because it was quote-unquote boring. There wasn't a lot of wrecks. There was – it was a Phoenix race. That's, I mean, that's what you're going to get with Phoenix. I think part of that, you know, with Jeff Gluck's poll, I think it was like 70-something percent. 70 percent said yes, that it was a good race. We're coming off of two very good races at Auto Club in Las Vegas that were both over 90% in that poll. How much do you think recency bias factors into people thinking that Phoenix wasn't a good race? Because, I mean, you can't ask for a better outcome of getting a new winner. Yeah, I think I think recency bias factors in a lot. You know, it wasn't Vegas. It wasn't Auto Club. It wasn't Daytona in terms of like the raw excitement level, the craziness, the, the side-by-side. But it was still a good race. It was definitely hard to pass. I think they need to get rid of that resin on the top groove because that made it really, really hard to pass. But there were some exciting restarts at the end. We got a new winner. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a very good race. I, I voted yes in the poll. I thought it was a good race. Uh, and like you said, NASCAR, again, Another another strong showing there. Phoenix isn't the most exciting track. We just have to get used to that. It's like it's not the most exciting track, but it was still a good Phoenix race, and we got a new winner. We had some exciting restarts at the end. We've had Phoenix races where there've been like six cautions, and two of them were stage, and one was a competition caution. This had like what double digit cautions, I think, something like that. So uh, that was a very good Phoenix race, and four races. Four winners. What more can you ask for? And three of those have come in double-digit odds. You know, eighteen to one, or, or depending on the book, you got Alex Bowman twenty-two to one. Um, you know, uh, um, what's his name? Sindrick for the Daytona five hundred twenty-five or thirty to one, depending on where you got him. And Chase Briscoe anywhere from fifty to a hundred to one, depending on the book and the time of week you got him. And once again, we said this after Auto Club Speedway, the very first non-Daytona race. Talent. Chase Briscoe hasn't had the best set of results at short flats. But damn, he's a talented driver and talent wins out yet again, even at Phoenix with this car. So 
That's what you'd love to see. Look who finished in the top three. Chase Briscoe, talent. Ross Chastain, talent. Tyler Reddick, talent. And, of course, Kevin Harvick was up there challenging for the top two or three talent. This car brings out the best in these drivers, and the talented drivers are coming forward, and that's what we really like to see. Yeah. When I say Chase Briscoe came out of nowhere, my algorithm had him 28th. <laughs> so that's why completely out of nowhere. But there was there was a record tied and a record set this past weekend. First record tied was Kevin Harvick, 18 straight top 10s at Phoenix. Absolutely ridiculous how good that guy is there. You know, we, he went on his dominating run. He won, like, what, seven out of eight or something like that. Top 10 machine at Phoenix. I think he was, like, minus 150 for a top 10. I could be wrong. I didn't bet it, so I'm not 100% sure. But uh, another record that was set, though, 10th straight race with a winner under the age of 30 in the Cup Series, which, I mean, you just love to see. It's, it, we're seeing the youth movement, and it just continues every single week. Absolutely, and uh, it, it it could still continue. I mean, there's some – Tyler Reddick hasn't won yet, and, and he very well could. We could see more Kyle Larson wins. I think he turns 30 in, like, July – Obviously, Blaney and Elliott are, are both amazing. William Byron. It is a very strong, young group of drivers. I mean, Christopher Bell hasn't won this year. He he got one win last year, but he he's a talented driver. Uh, so I think it's just such a strong, young group of drivers. And, uh, you know, it was nice to see, though, the old man, Kevin Harvick, still mixing it up with the young guns because uh, – he was fast in practice. Uh, I think he was like eighth and 10 lap average or even faster than that. Maybe uh six or eight. I forget the exact number, but again, he was one of those where practice correlated with result. If Kevin Harvick's good in practice, you can usually bet he's going to be really good in the race. And uh, we did see JGR struggle a little bit in practice. They weren't right up near the top. Even Chris Trebell, who you know he spun out, I think he may have potentially him and in, in Truex potentially had the best Toyotas. Uh, and they both had incidents might have you know been the best but they still were just borderline right inside the, or in in Bell's case or maybe just outside in Truex's case the top 10 practice correlated again and sometimes we've seen it correlate more auto club in Phoenix and sometimes we've seen it correlate a little less so it's just going to be one of those moving targets every week i think with practice and uh it's it's just something to keep an eye on something to make a mental note of not to overreact to it, but not to underreact to it, which is really hard to do. Uh, it is data, and it it it's hard for people to get off of the mindset that you know they saw this guy fast in practice. He's gonna be you know Kyle Larson was fast in practice at Las Vegas. He was only a fifth place car, fourth, third, fourth, fifth place car, uh, somewhere in there. William Byron was really fast at Vegas. He was maybe one car worse than Kyle Bush or Kyle Larson even. So. You know, Trix and, and Kyle Busch were one, two there at the end of the race in Vegas, and they didn't practice the fastest. So Vegas was a little opposite of what we've seen in Auto Club in Phoenix. It's a little moving target. You just kind of have to make note. One of the things that I will say, so congrats to those who bet Chase Briscoe, by the way. Um, there were some some betters in, in, that we all follow, or many of us follow, that nailed Chase Briscoe. But we were that close to a Kevin Harvick 25 to one live bet hitting or 27 to one Tyler Reddick hitting. So just because we missed those, that doesn't mean we made bad bets. They were good bets. They were just 
a little bit of randomness or a restart or, or Briscoe spinning his wheels on a restart away from hitting. So, uh, you know, lots of good bets made this week. Unfortunately, some of them didn't cash. And fortunately for others, Chase Briscoe brought home a very nice payday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 50-1, to 1, you know, this early in the season and at a non-super non speedway race is just incredible. Um, a few things to talk about. Speaking of super speedways, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but Atlanta, they are odds, opening odds have come out, and they're basically treating this like a super speedway with, with odds. And we'll get to that a little bit later. I just wanted to point it out and write it down so I remember. But um, so as far as this season goes with practice, I'm glad you brought up practice because you kind of read my mind. Like you said, there's been a lot of correlation. Ryan Blaney was super, super fast in practice. He was the best car on Sunday. He had that speeding penalty. He had to start in the back. That's the only reason he didn't lead more laps than he did. And he still led 143 laps. They kind of lost their car a little bit in like the last quarter of the race, and he finished fourth. <clears throat> but best car all day, no, <clears throat> no doubt about it. Um, but this season is very, very interesting when you look at the point standings, when you look at average finishes this year. Joey Logano is leading the points after four races. Kyle Busch is second, Chase Elliott's third. None of them have won. Kyle Larson's up there. Your boy, Denny Hamlin. Your boy, Denny Hamlin. Let's let's see where he's at. I'm scrolling right now. I don't know if you can hear my mouse, but I'm scrolling. Keep on I'm, scrolling. I'm still scrolling. I'm, I'm still scrolling. Oh, there he is. He's 27th in points. Christopher Bell is 30th in points, and the only people that he, he is beating are Harrison Burton, who's a rookie, and the backmarkers. That's it for Christopher Bell. Average finish-wise, Todd Gilliland, hashtag Gilly Gang, has a better average finish than Denny Hamlin this year. Oh, yeah. Chase Briscoe, fifth in points. Eric Amarola, sixth in points. Sindrick, eighth in points. Tyler Reddick, ninth in points. This car has definitely brought in a ton of randomness to this season, and it's definitely closed the gap, which is exactly what NASCAR said. In your mind, people that are struggling to start out this year, struggling the worst, who is who is your driver that you think could snap out of it and grab a win? Maybe even this week at Atlanta, maybe the week after at, I think they're at Richmond the week after. I could be wrong. Yeah, I still think it's going to be Denny Hamlin. Um, it, you know, and it's, it's no bias or anything. Obviously, I, I like the 11 and... Uh, you know, I've been a fan of his. He's from my area of the country, and, and he's won me a lot of money in DFS and betting. But uh, I still think it's going to be him. Truex hasn't quite quite looked as strong as Denny Hamlin, in my opinion. Now, he was a little stronger at Phoenix than Denny Hamlin, I think. But in other races, well, and of course, last week at Las Vegas. But, you know, at, at uh, California, Denny Hamlin was pretty strong. Uh, and it's just... It's one of those things of, of the Toyotas, Denny Hamlin is pretty strong, but it's one of those things I think he'll get it figured out. I think he'll get it turned around. Um, he's too good of a driver not to. Same with Truex. I think I think that whole crew will get it turned around. Now, Truex has, has had some good runs. Obviously, Daytona, he won stage one and stage two. California wasn't super strong for him. Obviously, Vegas was very strong, but he was just kind of mediocre like all the Toyotas were at Phoenix before his problems there. So... The whole Toyota gang needs to kind of, kind of, I guess, step it up a little bit. Kurt Busch hasn't been amazingly strong, but he's, you know, 
kind of Eric Almirola his way into some strong finishes. Uh, you know, if you if you just look at stage part points, Kurt Busch only has four stage points. Eric Almirola only has three stage points. But they've been getting finishes by keeping their noses clean. Uh, and, and that's sometimes what it takes. Kurt Busch has not uh, necessarily performed like a 12th place driver in the standings. Eric Almirola has not necessarily performed like a 6th place driver in the standings. But they're there because they got to the end. And uh, so I'm looking for Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. to really, I would say, bounce back. Um, I could also kind of see a little bit, uh, you know, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has had some bad runs. He got behind there at Phoenix. Phoenix isn't one of his best tracks, by the way. But he got behind there with that whole issue and and starting dead last. And then um, Vegas, he had a good run, but, but some issues cropped up the end. Auto Club, he was really good. So I think Stenhouse could turn it around, especially Atlanta, where if if this is super speedway, like Denny Hamlin and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. have to be two drivers that you, you really look at. I'm also going to throw in um, William Byron in there just because his average finish is down. It's the same as Todd Gillen. And I'm going to keep up. I'm going to keep bringing up Todd Gillen because I'm fully on Gilly. Yeah, we both are. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I wrote him up in DFS this last week because they priced him down with the back markers. He comes away with the top 20 finish. Solid 19th place finish after starting 33rd. He's completed every single lap since Daytona. So when DraftKings and FanDuel price him like a back marker, you need to take advantage of that because the guy can race. Like he's already outdoing what out Anthony Alfredo did last year. And Anthony Alfredo was in or near optimal lineup several times last year. So if you keep hearing us talk about David or Todd Gill, and that's why, because when, when, when you're, when you get that sort of pricing, um, you need to take advantage of it. But yeah, average looking at average finishes this year uh, through four races. And it, it, it kind of just shows how nobody is really being consistent. Again, goes with kind of the randomness part of it. Eric Camarola is leading the way at 7.3. Kyle Busch, 7.8. And then Kurt Busch, 11.3, who you who you mentioned has just been keeping his nose clean. Getting finishes he probably doesn't deserve that he doesn't have the speed for, but he's there at the end. Phoenix was a great example. He was not a fifth-place car at Phoenix, but he ended up inside the top five. Um, I, uh, I just lost my train of thought. That's happening a lot recently. Yeah, well, you're talking uh, about average finish here. I mean... Our points leader, Joey Logano, is wasn't even one of those drivers you just named. So, you know, and that's because he's grabbed a lot of stage points, but he had a 21st at Daytona. He had a 14th at Vegas. So those are two finishes that are already worse than Al Marola's worst finish. But, man, those stage points really help. Uh, obviously, Logano has been pretty strong this year. Wasn't super strong at Phoenix, but he's been, like, consistently good. He was good at uh, – he was really good at California uh, at Auto Club, challenging for the lead there. Uh, it was pretty good at Las Vegas, kind of faded at the end a little bit there with those those late restarts. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, even our, our points leader, Joey Logano, not in the top three or four in average finish right now. Yep. We're gonna go, I'm going to go back to practice a bit because, like you said, you know, we're, we're now getting the practice data. We can use it. It's correlating a lot to what we see in the race. Toyotas are the biggest question mark this year. They kind of came out of nowhere at Las Vegas. You know, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr. were super fast. Other than that, Toyota's been struggling. And I still, I'm still, i still flashing back to um, what I said back at Daytona that I think Ford, I think that rumor that Ford has an advantage is still true. Like, I think the Fords are the class of the field right now. But um, Toyota's definitely struggling. I 
and I know people are going to be confused because we sit here and say, you know, it's every week or, or a lot of weeks so far, two of the three, I'd say, over the past three weeks, you should have relied quite heavily on practice data, especially at Phoenix, because those guys made long runs. Mm-hmm. 25 lap runs, that's a ton of data that you can use to see who's good on the long run. But you, then you have guys like Kyle Larson who come out and they look great on 10, 15, 20 lap averages and then don't have that car in the race. And the only suggestion that I can think for situations like that is you almost have to keep a notebook of each driver and kind of their tendencies. So you mentioned Kevin Harvick earlier and, and both you and I were on him heavy at Phoenix. He was, I had him in 89% of my DFS lineups at Phoenix. That's how much I like Kevin Harvick. Um, He's one of those guys, if he makes a long run in practice, which he made a 25-lap run at Phoenix, he has a good car, and mm-hmm. he likes his car. Kyle Larson, I don't even know how to fully understand Kyle Larson because he can go out, he can qualify second, he can put up the best 10-lap average, the best 15-lap average, the best 20-lap average, and then fall back and run fifth all day. Or he can come out, qualify second, do the same thing, and then dominate the day. I don't get it. It's it's such an enigma, and and William Byron's kind of the same way. You mentioned him at, at Las Vegas. He can, he can look awesome at practice, but I think you know the best thing you can do, you know, for anybody listening and and wondering how to handle these practice speeds is just start taking notes and and see which drivers like where their practice most likely or more often correlates to the actual race speed. Ryan Blaney is another one. You usually can tell what kind of race car he has during mm-hmm. practice. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's always I remember back in 2015, 2016, just even if Harvick was mediocre, he was still going to be pretty good. But if Harvick was in practice, if he was mediocre in practice, he's still going to have a good race car. But if he had a good practice, he was hard to beat, you know, 15, 16, 17 around there. Uh, back when it was the big three, you know, there was the, the big three of Harvick, Truex and Kyle Busch several years ago. That, so that's still true with Kevin Harvick. And, and like you said, you're all over him. I was like, you have to play Kevin Harvick in cash games. He looked so good in practice. If he looks good in practice, he's having a great race car. I really liked him. Even in, in the core for DFS, if you wanted to play in tournaments, I was telling people, you know, definitely play Kevin Harvick in your core for tournaments. Um, and you, you know who else has shown up twice in the last two weeks with good practice and then been there at the end? Ross Chastain. So he's the one yep. we got to start taking mental notes of that. If he looks good in practice, oh, baby. Chase Briscoe looked good in practice. Oh, baby. Um, you mentioned Blaney for sure. Chase, the, the the Chevys in general have been a little bit more of an enigma. You know, Chase Elliott didn't look amazing in practice, but had a badass race car. Um, my model actually really liked Chase Elliott's dominator potential. So... I was intrigued by that. It didn't love his average finish, but it loved his dominator potential. And that's kind of what happened. He had a dominating car and uh, didn't end up getting the best finish there. But uh, my model almost nailed him like spot on. If you if you were in my projections, you would have seen Chase Elliott had one of the higher ceilings uh, and it liked his his upside. But his median wasn't as you know strong there. So um yeah, I think especially those Hendricks are, are cars. Those Hendrick Motorsports cars are hard to get a hold of. But some of those others, Ross Chastain, uh, Daniel Suarez looked pretty decent in practice. I think he had like the 13th best uh, five lap speed and uh, you know an even better 10 lap speed. He came for he came through the field multiple times. You know, after a, a penalty or a bad pit strategy, got him back in the field a little bit. Um, he looked really good. So 
there are drivers where we could you know make those mental notes and and see them coming forward so just a few drivers i was thinking off the top of my head you you know you had mentioned harvick and and blaney but definitely chastain as well uh, and a few other drivers chastain's one of those um it's he's one of those guys that i kind of listen to you first on if he on if you think he has a, a good car when i don't get a chance at because like Two of the four races I've been on the road, so I haven't even watched practice for two of the four, two of the two of the three races so far. Um, because like Phoenix, he didn't make a, he only he made a ten lap run. I think that was it. Mm-hmm. I, he might have showed up on fifteen, but I know he didn't show up. You know, in the in the longer runs, which is always kind of like a red flag to me on practice speeds. But I think Chastain's just that type of practicer where he doesn't go out super long, even on you know Phoenix, which is only a mile track. And that's, again, just one of those tendencies that you have to just kind of make. Truex is similar. He doesn't make a lot of long practice runs, I've noticed. And that's what makes Truex somebody who else who's really hit or miss uh, for me. He might make a couple short runs, and, and that means they're making adjustments. He might not be happy with his car, but then all of a sudden they'll nail those adjustments for the race. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think Vegas was a very interesting one because we instead of having two groups, we had one group and it was a longer practice session if you remember that and that means truex had multiple chances to make adjustments he didn't make more longer runs but that gave him multiple baselines to work with and that's maybe why i was off of truex a little bit uh when it came to vegas and then he shined in the race he and kyle bush were going for the win there so he's another one that's hard to get a hold of for me as far as practice and and like you said chastain tends not to make longer runs as well but for some reason his, he seems to be a little more consistent but i have to give you a little a little hat tip here because we were talking about my paul menard picks of the week for the first two weeks i had alex bowman and chase elliott basically flipped right and uh mm-hmm. god if i if i'd gone the other ways around with them essentially those hendrick motorsports teammates it would have been great but uh so I decided for my Palmenar pick of the week because the 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 top tier drivers were kind of chalkier and we weren't getting as many surprises. I went with the lower tier, you know, middle priced or lower middle priced driver, Daniel Suarez, and I feel like I nailed that call. Obviously, finished ninth. Uh, he came through the field a couple times, but yeah, I, I feel like that was a really good call. I was telling everybody to play Daniel Suarez, telling everybody to play Kevin Harvick, and I was definitely telling people to play Ross Chastain. Even though I didn't write Chastain up, it was like once I kind of wrapped my head around the, the slate, I, I was back on the Chastain train and telling people, I think, you know, they should play Chastain. So that core, if you were using a Chastain, Suarez, Harvick core, Oh my God, it did really well. The only thing that was missing essentially was was Chase Briscoe. Now, if you had a lineup that had Chase Briscoe with that core, you probably crushed it. Mm-hmm. I I know I was a little bit influenced by you, but looking at my exposures from from Phoenix, eighty seven percent Harvick. I was thirty nine percent Todd Gilliland, thirty eight percent Daniel Suarez, and thirty one percent Ross Chastain. So, yeah, thank you for those tips. They definitely, definitely well, helped. I think Which, we're, by the we're way, both team, we're both Gilly gang. And and I was going to say, Gilliland didn't practice well. He didn't qualify well. He didn't practice well. But he raced well. And Phoenix is a good track for him. So I'm glad he raced well despite the slow practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I, I, so last week we had Doc blocked. You got your first win at fantasy, random fantasy racing. I had my first profitable Phoenix DFS day in since 2018. This is only the second time I've ever profited at Phoenix. This has been my worst DFS track by such a wide margin. I would be up significantly more money if I just never played Phoenix. And there's been a year where I did not play Phoenix. It's when I came out to Vegas and I watched the race with you. Mm-hmm. I, I specifically went to Vegas because I knew I wouldn't be able to play Phoenix because I'm that awful at it. So we got two, two bad streaks kind of turning around. Speaking of the dock block, you had uh, Almirola at Phoenix. He finished 12th. It looks like you have Tyler Reddick coming up for Atlanta, which, you know, we can we can go ahead and start talking about Atlanta, but the consensus is we don't know what the hell to expect with this race because, like I said earlier, sports books are pricing this and putting odds out like it's a super speedway. Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson opened up as co favorites at ten to one, which you don't see that at mile and a half tracks. Atlanta Motor Speedway is reconfigured, repaved, and the thing that stuck out to me, you know, there's been rumors that they're trying to make this like a super speedway race. There's going to be more drafting. We're going to get packs. And then they decided they're also going to throw in the double yellow line, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is just, that's just, to me, it's just saying, yes, this is going to be a super speed. Now, do I think it's going to be fully a super speedway race, like a Daytona or a Talladega? No, but will, will we even learn a lot in practice because as far as how the actual race is going to go? Because what I'm concerned about with the actual race is, you know, mile and a half track like Atlanta, uh, 500 lap race. So we're looking at what? 325 laps. Is that typically the, the 500 mile race? Yeah. Something like that. It's very important to nail dominators when you have that many laps, when it comes to DFS, fastest laps are going to be really important. And the old Atlanta with the worn out surface and it, it really, it, unless a driver got, new tires, which then they just pick up the fastest laps because they had the new tires. It would be the better cars. What I'm worried about with this new surface is it's going to turn out to be like a Daytona and Talladega where the highest amount of fastest laps in the race is going to be 10, which is going to turn this race DFS wise into you have to, you really have to think of it as a super speedway race. If that happens, because all of a sudden you're just going for finish and place differential because Yes, there's going to be laps led, and you're going to probably need to get the guy that leads the most laps. But other than that, it's going to be all about finish and place differential because fastest laps aren't going to be there. Now, this is all hypothetical. We don't know what the hell is going to happen here. There's a there's an hour-long practice session scheduled for Friday before qualifying on Saturday. But I don't know I don't know exactly what we're going to learn Friday. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. And anybody who tells you they know what's going to happen is is not telling you the truth because th- there could be a wide range of outcomes. Even Justin Allgaier, he was interviewed by Bob Pachris. Allgaier recently did a test at Atlanta in the next gen car. And he said, he's not sure if it'll be like a super speedway race or not. He said, the teams have options. So they're, the cup series is running the exact same packages as Daytona and Talladega, everything from you know engine and stuff to downforce and, and all that. But 
teams can still trim out. They can still do things to kind of reduce downforce or, or you know, just by modifying the car in legal ways uh, to reduce drag or increase downforce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Allgaier thinks teams will go the trim it out like Daytona Dega route because it's faster and, and because you have so much grip with the new surface uh, that you'll be able to trim it out and not have to worry so much about downforce. But he preferred having more downforce because then you really could move anywhere. Because if you're lower on downforce, he was saying, you're much more on that edge of grip and arrow. And you, we could see a lot of incidents. So uh, it's it, even just an Allgaier who test drove that car doesn't know how it's going to play out, which is super interesting to me uh, that, you know, one of the drivers, um, yes, he's a, he's a Xfinity regular, but he's raced in cup before he knows how things work. It was interesting to me that even he wasn't quite sure what to expect. It just depends on how the teams will end up trimming out their cars, whether they, they really go for full like Daytona Talladega trim, or if they dial in a little more downforce. And betting wise, you know, like I said, lines are similar to Daytona and Talladega right now. I don't know of anybody that's making any outright bets right now. I know I'm not like, yes, there's some value, like, quote unquote value on the board with long shots because, you know, you can get a Christopher Bell at 40 to one. You can get uh, even like a Chastain 25 to one. Or if you're going the favorite route, you know, Denny Hamlin 10 to one or something like that. William Byron 12 to one. Hamlin's 12 to 1 as well. Larson, I mean, Larson 10 to 1 is always going to stick out. But um, I don't know of anybody that that I follow betting wise that is actually making any outright bets this week with any confidence at all. I don't think you can. The only bet, and I know you're on it, and PJ's on it, and I'm on it, is uh, FanDuel opened up uh, Noah Gregson at 14 to 1 to finish top 10, which is just absolute insanity considering Gregson is three to one at DraftKings. So we bet that just out of value because you don't get 14 to one out of a car that is capable, like actually capable of running top 10 without any help. Um, You have to bet that I think when it becomes available, but um, yeah, for sure. And, and I full disclosure, uh, when lines opened right away uh, at the candy books, um, Eric Jones was 60 to one and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was 66 to one. I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And both of those I think are value regardless of the type of racing. So I put 0.1 unit, you know, just really dial it back. Uh, 0.1 units on each of those when it was 66 to one for, uh, Stenhouse and 60 to one for Jones. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Eric Jones nearly won auto club. He was running inside the top 10 at Las Vegas before he crashed right there at the end, causing that green-white checkered. Uh, and he ran really strong at Daytona. He was he, he led at a point. He, uh, he was right up front until he got caught up, like everybody did, at a wreck in Daytona. So I think that made sense. And I think Ricky Stenhouse Jr. got himself to the lead late in Daytona as well. He's always been strong at super speedway racing. He was really good at California. He wasn't quite as good at Las Vegas, but he was still inside the, you know, in the mid teens or something like that. When, uh, he, I think he, he had to go backward for some reason. I don't know if it was a penalty or it was a late restart or, or what it was, but um, he wasn't quite as strong at Vegas, but 
I made two super, you know, super tiny wagers on those guys when those lines came out, but they immediately were both bet down to 40 to one. No, no longer value in my opinion. Um, so regardless of the type of racing, I thought those two were okay, but that's it. You're right. That's it. The Noah Gregson 10 to one was silly. Obviously that got bet down. It, it hung out there for a little bit, but that got bet down pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, you're right. Other than that, I have zero interest in any bets. Um, maybe Christopher Bell, top Toyota, 11 to 1. There's only six Toyotas. <laughs> you, you just know? read my mind. I was literally just looking at that as you were talking. Well, and, and PJ wrote that up as well at Action Network. So we've both been kind of eyeing that. But I haven't made the bet yet. Uh, but you know, I think that would <laughs> maybe be the only other one. There's six Toyotas. 11 to 1 is too long for Christopher Bell. I don't care if he's spun out every race so far. Don't care. 11 to one is too long for Christopher Bell, regardless of the type of racing we're going to see. Yeah. It reminds me of, was it auto club that bell was 14 to one. And then Kurt Busch was 14 to one. Like when you get them like that, like you just, you kind of have to bet it. And you know, Kurt Busch ended up hitting that race too. Mm-hmm. That 14, especially to when there was only six of them. Like Kurt yeah. Busch, I, I guess was top Toyota this past weekend too. Wasn't he? He was. Yeah. So was, who was top? Oh, Kyle Busch was probably top Toyota at Vegas, wasn't he? Mm, probably. Yeah, he finished fourth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like as far as like other betting, you know, even matchups, there's nothing out there. Bubba was top, top Toyota at Daytona. I was just I was looking back to satisfy my mind there, but um, yeah, I don't. And I don't even know if I don't think betting lines are going to shift dramatically after practice because they haven't this year, and and just because of the unpredictability that that this race is probably going to bring with it. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to be betting at all this weekend, like unless I really see something that I like. Like this is one of those races, even DFS wise, I don't think I'm going to be playing much, which. Full disclosure, I've said that. I said I'm not going to play much this year, and I've I've played my normal amount pretty much every yep. single race so far. But um, it's an addiction, and I and I it's fun, and I embrace it. But um, but no betting wise, you know, I'll I'll take my 14 to one long shot and and ride into Circuit of the Americas next week. But it's going to be just a weird race that we're just going to learn a lot. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I think we have to approach this. Um, obviously there's, there's a second Atlanta race, right? So this is going to be a good learning experience for Atlanta. Number two. Um, yeah. They are returning to Atlanta about midway through the year, a little past the midway mark, I think or right around the midway yep. mark. So it's a good learning experience for that. And I agree with you, even after practice, you're right. I don't know if we're going to learn that much. And how is that going to inform us on bets, right? Like it's a really good week to dial everything back. I'm glad, and, and uh, you know, me working for action network, I have to not just do NASCAR to do other sports. And we got March madness this week and I've been doing my, my March madness content. I'm so glad March madness fell on Atlanta <laughs> week because I can kind of neglect Atlanta. Cause we don't really know what the heck's going to happen. So I'm just going to quick and dirty Atlanta not paid too much attention to it. Opening weekend of March Madness, focus more on that. And then we go to Cirque the Americas, which I'll feel a lot better about because week two of March Madness isn't so hectic, but uh, week one is. So 
uh, you know, a lot of research goes into building brackets. A lot of research goes into player props. My my betting scheme uh, that if if you guys don't know about, I think you should check out over at ActionNetwork.com. Um, you know, I, I've I've got this little betting method for March Madness as well. Uh, but uh, all sorts of fun stuff there. Thank goodness Atlanta is this weekend in you know instead of uh, another weekend where um yeah i i guess or i should say instead of another race being this weekend so if it was like march madness this weekend and the daytona 500 or something or you know i don't know some other race that was not where we didn't know anything i'd have a whole lot more stuff to do for nascar as well yeah. so uh just kind of lucked out on that front so for those listening, that's that's how unpredictable this race is probably going to be. Is you, you're listening to two guys that put so much time and effort into this whole fantasy NASCAR and NASCAR betting world, and we are happy that we we don't have to do a lot this weekend because it's just going to be that unpredictable that we can focus on something else. I think I hope it's a good race. I hope I hope they nailed it with the new track, what they're trying to do with it, but. I will say this, if it if it turns out to be like a super speedway race, I'm very thankful that Fantasy Labs has all the options it does with its optimizer to do the randomness in lineups and really it, it it's helped me build, you know, super speedway lineups DFS wise for the last couple of years. So I'm I'm happy with that, you know, and and it's going to be another one of those weeks where most drivers are going to be on the table. Um you know, yeah, it could be, or it could can, be. It, we think it, people will be able to pass, and they just can't. Maybe there's not enough draft at a smaller track and a tighter track, and it's uh, you can't pass the leader or something. I don't think that'll be the case, but I have no idea. I don't know, <laughs> right? And so, uh, and there's a lot of brilliant minds out there. You, myself, PJ, Jim Sonis of uh, FanDuel. Uh, is another really good mind and he, mathematical mind. And he does a lot of modeling as well for, for NFL, for all sorts of sports. Um, and of course for NASCAR, he's treating it like a blend between mile and a half and a super speeder race. As far as his modeling goes, I'm approaching it similar, I'm, but I'm trimming down the mile and a half to really low wear mile and a half. So mm. Texas, after it was repaved and reconfigured Kentucky, after it was repaved and reconfigured, and the super speedways. So I'm not using medium high wear tracks like, like Vegas or Kansas. I'm not using high wear intermediates like old Atlanta, for example. Uh, I'm, I'm using Texas and Kentucky since their respective repaves. I think Kentucky was maybe 2015 and Texas 2016, or it was one year shifted for each of those, but those tracks since their repaves, and then super speedways, and that's how I'm blending it. So not quite the same as Jim's doing it, but he's along you know the same wavelength as me. He's just bringing a few extra mile and a half. So I'm giving more weight to the super speedways, especially because I think that's what the books are predicting is it'll be more super speedway like. And uh, you know, but but somebody like Justin Allgaier who doesn't know makes me want to throw in at least the newer low tire wear mile and a halfs of of Kentucky, which course they no longer race at kentucky but we, there's still data from it in the past uh that can inform our model you know like what what traits of a driver help at kentucky then or texas since it's repave and reconfigure yeah and that's that's another aspect of of this whole thing is 
This is literally a brand new track. Um, there's going to be, I'd assume, very, very, very minimal tire wear, which is going to bring pit strategy into the equation as well because two tires is now on the table. Um, I mean, we've seen that at recent repaves as well. You know, when Pocono was repaved, you could take two tires and, and go there. It's just what happens when they repave these tracks. Um, I'm looking at the tire codes now for what they're going to be using this weekend. And I don't think I was seeing if they would, if they were going to use the same tires as, as Daytona, but I don't think they are. It looks like a brand new tire this week. Yeah. Two new tire codes. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. This is the newest surface they're racing on uh, so far. Daytona's getting kind of old. Obviously, Auto Club's really old. Vegas is on the medium old side. Phoenix, uh, not super old, but old enough, I guess. And this is like brand spanking new. So, makes sense that they're using a little bit different tire code here. But uh, just throws another wrench into the system. Two tires, zero tires, stay out gas only all that stuff you know things could be on the table here will we get a lot of green flag runs that's the question i have no idea um you know we see a lot of cautions potentially i think given what we saw at auto club in vegas and now and of course daytona and now this potential for pack racing type stuff i think we could see a lot of cautions especially if they trim out like all said if they trim out like daytona and dega he said they're going to be on the edge, the aerodynamic edge. The car still has a lot of grip, but if you start trimming out, you start reducing that grip, you're going really fast, and then you're on both the aerodynamic and the grip edge. That could get pretty hairy, and if they're racing in a pack, we could see a big one. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea, but there is potential. And, and once again, the one thing we need to keep an eye out for, if any book anywhere Post a caution prop, and they're using old Atlanta data. <laughs> over. <laughs> Jump on the over, I think. I, I can. I feel like I can confidently say, confidently say that regardless of how the racing is going to be, just because of what we saw at Vegas or Auto Club, et cetera. Yeah, there's eight cautions at Phoenix. I looked that up. But that's still, I'm pretty sure, hit the over um, compared to what we normally see at short flat tracks. I'm interested to see if we're going to get another non-expected winner, you know, the Larson is the only winner this year that if you, if you ask somebody to start, you know, if we're, if we're four races in, who do you think is going to have wins that far? Bowman's like fringe, but you got Cindric, you got Briscoe, Larson and, and Bowman. Um, I'd like to see, you know, someone like, uh, like I, I really want to see Tyler Reddick win this year. I'm waiting for that. But, if this comes into, you know, playing to super speedway strengths, I'd like to see like a like a long shot like Chris Busher get in, who's really good at super speedways, or Bubba Wallace even. I, w- I want to see Bubba Wallace win a non-super speedway race or just to shut up all the people that, that continue to hate on him. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting because, I, I mean, Buff- Bubba definitely can go out and win a super speedway race. There's no doubt about it. Uh, man, I was really hoping he'd... He, he, you know, I'm, I'm happy Cindric did too. I, I like all the drivers pretty much, but uh, would have been awesome to see Bubba Wallace win the Daytona 500 in 500 miles, so he could have shut people up just about the the rain win, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see him grab a win anywhere. Chris Busher, you mentioned Chris Busher's only career win was the fog out at Pocono uh, mm-hmm. when he ran for for 
front row motorsports. I almost said furniture row, front row motorsports. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely some drivers. The, the one thing about Chris Buescher, and I think it changed a little bit this year with the clash, is he's while he's run up front at Daytona and Talladega, he's never really like led a ton. He hasn't like gotten himself to the front front. He's just kind of hovered in that five third second to fifth range but yep. never really like gone and grabbed the lead uh obviously winning the the duel this year his duel was was a big part of of that and and that was pretty cool for for him there but by and large he hasn't been a guy that's like gone and taken the lead even at these super speed races despite a lot of really good finishes and one guy uh you know that I'd be certainly curious about is Noah Gregson who um you know, has, has had some good races at super speedways in the Xfinity series was competitive at Daytona in, you know, the, was it beard or something like that? Motorsports the ride. 62. Yeah. yeah. The 62. And then, uh, but now he's going to be in the colleague equipment and, you know, we've seen the colleague guys do just fine at super speedways uh, in the past. So yeah, I'm curious about Noah Gregson as well, but uh, just one of those situations where a lot of drivers come in. Gilly Gang, what if what if Gilly Gang's you know right up there again? Come to the end of the race, he was he was a hell of a pick for the Daytona 500. Just as we talked about uh, in terms of a DFS play and percentages, if if that Gilliland Harvick wreck hadn't happened, I mean you know it wasn't they didn't wreck each other, but just in general that wreck where it caught both of them up in it. I might be a millionaire right now. Right? I legitimately might be a millionaire right now. Yeah. That and like I said, Gilliland has completed every single lap since the Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. Which still nobody's on him and I don't get it. When they price like I'm going to I said I'm going to talk about it again, but Gilliland becoming my new favorite driver. I was I was Anthony Alfredo fast pasta last year, now I'm Todd Gilliland. But Here's a here's a trivia question for you cuz this kind of this one of these drivers really surprised me. There's three drivers that have completed every single lap this year. Who are they? Eric Almarola. Yep. I think that's the the obvious one. Oh, baby. Um Kurt Busch? Think the other one. Kyle Busch. Yep. So Kurt must have been a lap behind at Daytona, I think. Kurt has completed all but two. All but two. Okay. Same with Bubba. Uh, so we got Kyle Busch, We got Eric Almarola. Obviously not Gillen because of that wreck there. Ty Dillon. Ty Dillon has completed every single lap. He also has an average finish this year of 15.8. He's finished which... top 20 every race, yeah. And that's another one of those guys that I don't think enough people are talking about. It's, uh, you know, the petty GMS. Eric Jones has had speed. Ty Dillon clearly has had speed to, to finish top 20 every single week, uh, including a 15th at Phoenix. He's always been solid at Phoenix. He's really always been good at Phoenix. To be fair, Eric Jones wiped him at Auto Club. Ty Dillon finished 17th. But a lot of that was because of the mayhem at the end. He was 30th, I think, in average green flag speed. Las Vegas, Eric Jones ran better than Ty Dillon uh, until Eric Jones crashed at the end inside the top 10. Phoenix, they were about the same. I don't I don't have the average green flag speed in front of me, 
but I know they were both running towards the back half of the lead lap and, and middle portion of the lead lap at different times. So I don't know if one was faster than the other. I know Eric Jones was 21st in average green flag speed. I just don't remember what Ty Dillon was, but uh, you know, so, but that Phoenix, like you said, is maybe Ty Dillon's best track outside of super speedways. So that wasn't too much of a surprise there, but either way, consistent again. And dude, we talk about bets this year, just missing out on Reddick and Harvick this past weekend. How about just missing out on 40 to one top Chevy Ty Dillon by a foot (laughs) at Daytona. And that was for 11th or 10th place. If he had passed chase Elliott. And I also had a top 10 plus three fifty. Ah, come on. He was 24th at Phoenix green flag speed, green flag speed. So behind Gilly gang. Yep. Gilly gang was 23rd, but you did bring up a point. How good Ty Dillon is at super speedways. Could be another driver, little Mm -hmm. underdog there at Atlanta this weekend. What about Brad Keselowski? Cause that dude needs a shot in the arm because he was obviously super strong at Daytona all week. But, he was awful at Phoenix. Yeah, he, he not just bad. He was awful. Oh yeah, Chris Busher was much better than him at Phoenix. Now, I think tenth place is a flattering finish for Chris Busher, given all the the restarts at the end there. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think ninth was more fair for Daniel Suarez than tenth was for Chris Busher. Uh, but at the same time, he still ran way better than Keselowski, his teammate there. So, yeah, Keselowski yeah. finished finished twenty third at Phoenix, and that was better than he ran all day Mm -hmm. just to put that into perspective um you know so far in his new ownership venture Keselowski has that ninth place finish at Daytona after wrecking half the field went on to finish 27th at Auto Club 24th at Vegas and then 23rd at Phoenix so I guess he's improving we can give him that Mm -hmm. but man that car is not good and I and I tweeted out a, a screenshot and an article I was reading about him saying like, who could have predicted that we'd see such a fall off with Keselowski? And I'm like, anybody with a brain. Yeah. You're going from Penske to, to Roush. Roush hasn't been competitive in what? 15 years, 10 years. Uh, when was the last time Roush won anything outside of a super speedway race or even competed? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh and and just to further, you know, it's not like it's not like Kez is getting hitting bad luck here, because when you look at um, green flag speed on these races, so at Auto Club, Kozlowski was seventeenth, uh, finished twenty seventh, and he, so he's seventeenth at green flag speed. He was twenty sixth in green flag speed at Vegas, and he was thirty second in green flag speed at at Phoenix. I mean, he was out he. Harrison Burton had a better green flag speed than Keselowski at Phoenix. And Harrison Burton wrecked early. Yeah. Wow. The only people that the only people that Keselowski had a better green flag speed with at Vegas or at Phoenix was the backmarkers. Castle, Ware, Smithley, and McLeod. Not even LaJoy, right? And like LaJoy and Castle are teammates. Yeah. LaJoy was twenty sixth. Yeah. So Whew. Rough. So yeah, that dude needs a shot in the arm, Mr. Brad Keselowski there. The 2012 NASCAR Cup Series champion struggling right now. Hopefully Atlanta for him, he can turn it around. But 
We don't know. I don't know. I have no idea how the hell Atlanta is going to play out. And again, the drivers don't know. We don't know. The books are treating it like a super speedway race. That might be our biggest hint there. Vegas knows everything. Yeah. Vegas uh, certainly has done well on the races this year. You know, Cindric didn't have a huge amount of bets for Daytona. Uh, obviously, Larson was bet pretty heavily at California Auto Club, which is unfortunate for them there because he wasn't the best. But Alex Bowman didn't have a ton at Las Vegas. And Chase Briscoe is an interesting one. I feel like the books, some of them could have taken a loss at Phoenix. Uh, some of them may have profited at Phoenix. It just depends on how many people were betting Chase Briscoe. I saw Chase Briscoe definitely got shorter after practice and qualifying, but the part of that was because he's good in practice and qualifying. And I, obviously we definitely know people did bet on Chase Briscoe. So I think it could be book dependent on which ones made money at Phoenix and which ones didn't. But, uh, I would say overall a solid start to the year for books in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And really, it would be an even better year if Larson won the one auto club, I think. Oh, yeah. They'd be kicking ass right now. Yeah. What is the. What that that the, did what help is, them, though, because then they got all those Larson bets for Vegas. Uh, yeah. Larson bets at Vegas were. Everybody except me bet Larson at six to one when he, they opened at DraftKings and, you know, uh, circa. Circa at 550, uh, you know, even after practice and qualifying. Now they they definitely cleaned up at Vegas, and I think that Auto Club win helped. Absolutely, and I'd bet it again. <laughs> and I wouldn't. I would fade it again because he just wasn't fast enough at, at Auto Club. Yeah. Uh, what was what is the age? We talked about this, I think, on the first episode this year. What's the age that drivers really start declining? Uh, around 28 and uh oh declining I, said, start, start, I thought you said start climbing <laughs> start declining uh when they start climbing is around 28 when they start declining is right in that 42 ish neighborhood 41 okay. 42 um 40 41 usually they're still fine they're they're mostly peaking around 38 to 40 uh kind of drop back a little bit at 40 41 but 42 after 42 especially off the cliff there uh, pretty quickly. And and I don't like to say it, but Kurt Busch hasn't run as strong as he's finished. You know, Eric Almirola style. Kevin Harvick has only really run strong at Phoenix. And I think, you know, both his auto club and Las Vegas finishes were maybe a little flattering for you know, how he ran. Maybe not as much Las Vegas, but definitely auto club was. I mean, he was in the mid-20s at Auto Club in green flag speed. Phoenix was a little unflattering for him. But, uh, yeah, 42 is a, after that is when drivers really, in general, different for everybody, start to hook, to fall off a little. Yeah, I was looking up Brad Keselowski's 38. I thought I thought it was right there in that 38 range. But you know who is 42 and who is off to a pretty rough start this year? Your, your boy, Denny Hamlin. <laughs> Is he 42? No, I think he's 41. Truex, maybe? Martin Truex Jr., 42. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Truex is 42. I think Denny Hamlin's like 40 or 41, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I could be completely wrong in that. I should know my Denny Hamlin ages, apparently. 
41. Then, He'll turn 42 right around uh, the championship race. Which he won't win. Cool. Um, <laughs> no, this is this is a great start to the season for with Denny Hamlin struggling so much. Um, I love it. Love to see it. <laughs> oh, man. Wasn't there something where if something happened last year, like if Bowman had finished top five in something or whatever, you were going to like not say anything bad about Denny Hamlin ever again or something, or at least for the rest of the year. I, I can't remember. There was, yeah, we did make a bet on that and I didn't lose it. So I can still talk hold on. So the one thing, you know, we've had a couple things turn around this year. The obviously doc blocked is now doc blessed for the time being doc blessed. Uh, what was the other one? I couldn't remember. Um, something else turned around. You said, Oh, doing well, I, Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix DFS. The Jordan Jinx is still well and alive, Christopher <laughs> Bell. Yes, it is. And even uh, was it, it was Christopher Bell at Phoenix, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah, the only one that it wasn't was Atlanta or Las Vegas because I bet um, Larson. And then Auto Club, I think, was Blaney who finished 18th. I so now I'm looking at my fa- random fantasy racing now. Um, I have Larson for Atlanta. Awesome. Oh my, <laughs> that one's interesting. You know, I I I saw your Twitter when lines came out, and people were replying, "You got to bet Larson at ten to one, right?" Like. Not if this is a super speedway. Larson is awful at super speedway racing. Think back to what we talked about with Daytona. He has led one lap per race average, essentially, between Daytona and Talladega. If this race is like that, Larson's not value at 10 to 1 or 9 to 1 or 12 to 1. He's not. He's bad at super speedway racing. You know, kind of just a mid-pack driver. He doesn't lead laps. He doesn't finish up front at super speedways. He literally leads on average just over one lap per race at super speedways. Do not fall for the Larson bait this weekend, please. We just don't know if this is going to be like a super speedway race. And if it is, Larson's not a good bet. Right. If I'm going to bet anybody based on super speedway prowess and and where the lines are now, it's probably going to be Blaney or Logano at 10, and, 10 or 11 to 1. Or Hamlin at 12. I don't know if I could do that to myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it was pure super speedway racing, Hamlin at 12 is is probably the bet I would make. But, again, like you said, that's if it's pure super speedway prowess. I, I would agree with you on Logano, Blaney, and, and Hamlin. Those would be the three I would look at. And I bet Blaney to win for Daytona as my pick of the favorites, mainly because I think he was the longest of the three between Logano, Hamlin, and Blaney. Uh, I kind of just tend to pick the longest of those three right now if, I, if I'm if i going to bet a favorite at a super speedway race. Yep. Yeah, because those two are, or those three are, you know, a good good margin above everybody else when it comes to it. Mm-hmm. That type of racing, especially Hamlin. Hamlin's just 
ridiculously good. Um, and then you got Keselowski wrecking everybody. But <laughs> what else is new? Yeah, it's either Logano uh, throwing the block or Keselowski being too aggressive. That's how it always happens yep. at these super speedway races. Things just don't seem to change. You know what's interesting this week is Justin Haley and Chris Busher have the same odds. Yeah. That's weird. This whole weekend is going to be weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even comment on that because I don't know if that's weird or not. That's uh, Yeah, just like at first glance, it's weird, but. Certainly, you would, it could you would be. think normally it would be weird, but, but in this again, situation, Justin, yeah. Justin Haley's a really good super speedway racer in the oh, Xfinity yeah. series. Uh, I mean, he is he is the Denny Hamlin of the Xfinity series super speedways. It's yeah, it's impressive to watch those college cars last year. Watching those, they couldn't be stopped. The only way you could stop them is if you wrecked two of them, and even mm-hmm. then, the other one's going to be right up there. And, and He's been doing this for multiple years in the Xfinity as well, not just last year with Colic, but I mean, he had a win, a super speedway win taken away from him when he passed below the yellow lines. He was deemed to there at the end once. Uh, and overall, just he, you know, Justin Haley has a very strong super speedway record in the Xfinity series. Uh, he has won at Talladega twice in 2020, Daytona once in 2020, Daytona in 2021. Um, and then he finished sixth and fourth at Talladega last year. He finished sixth at Daytona in 2020. And in 2019, he finished second at Daytona, uh, seventh at Talladega. And I think that 17th place finish might have been the one where they moved him back because of passing below the yellow line. I don't remember. But one of these results was his I pass below the yellow line win as well. So. Um, I don't remember which one it was. It may have been the the 2018 GMS racing one, actually. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Justin Haley has been kicking ass at super speedways in the Xfinity series for three years. Uh, and, you know, didn't kick ass at the Daytona 500 because of that whole wheel issue. But he's... <laughs> Hell, he won for Spire Motorsports. Obviously, it was the rainout race, but he hung up there all day. He was 13th in Colleg in 2020 in the Cup Series. He won in 2019 in the Cup Series, like I said, with Spire. You still have to be in the mix to be able to win even on a rainout race. You know, you can't be falling off the lead lap or something like that. Finished 20, he finished 11th at Talladega with Spire in 2020. 6th at Daytona with Spire in 2020. So he is a good super speedway racer so if this ends up being like a super speedway race don't just put stock into what happened at the daytona 500 this year for justin haley Mm. you know one more wrench that could get thrown into this weekend and i hate to bring it up because we haven't dealt with it this year it's gonna rain on friday in atlanta yeah i I saw something like over 80 85 chance and that, you know, what will they do with the schedule then, trying to get the Xfinity race in and qualifying and practice? There's lights there. I don't know. I don't know what NASCAR will do. But as of now, it's looking like Friday might be a washout. 
which is when practice is scheduled for. Yep. I would uh, think that they would put a precedent on practice over qualifying this week. I would, I would think so. Um, gosh, if it washes out, I, I think NASCAR would absolutely have to try to reschedule practice in some way, shape, or form. Even if it was a shorter practice session, they need to at least have a chance to shake these cars down and and get a, at least a one run in there for practice. Uh just so they have an idea of what's going on. Um, I'm quite certain there'll be a competition caution, you know, uh, especially if the practice is washed out and they do a shorter practice session. But we've had competition cautions, I think, at every race so far, except maybe Daytona. Um, I think we had it at Daytona, too. Did we have one at Daytona? Yeah, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I'm pretty sure we'll see a competition caution for Atlanta, which, again, if... Somebody has a pass-through penalty at the start. Let's not all freak out. <laughs> It'll be fine. Uh, so, yeah, just no idea how this race is going to play out, but just some of these little nuances here with the rain or if there's a pass-through penalty, there's probably going to be a competition caution. So let's just, uh, you know, I guess just wait and see. That's all we can do at this point. We could just wait and see. Yep. And like we've been saying, even with even after practice and qualifying, we're probably still not really going to know how this race is going to race and how who's actually going to win because we just don't know. We have nothing to go off of. And no, absolutely nothing. I just hope it's a good race. I have a feeling it will be, but I think I mean, given what we've seen so far, you have to think it'll be a good race. There's always the potential for the unexpected, though, with a brand new track on a rules package they've never used. I mean, it's not obviously it's not a new whole track, but the surface, the reconfigure, the new car rules package they've only used at a larger oval, uh, even larger oval. So there's always the chance for the unexpected. Maybe there's just not enough draft, like I said, at Atlanta. And then with these super new track surface, the leader can just keep everybody at bay. I don't know. We'll have to see. We will have to see. We'll find out soon enough because it's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday before we know it. And they're going to be racing the folds of honor quick trip 500 at Atlanta before we head to circuit of the Americas in our first road course race the week after. I don't have anything else to talk about this week. What about you? Nah, absolutely nothing here on my end either. Uh, yeah, dial it back this weekend, folks. Jordan, are you going to play any F1 DFS? I, this weekend, probably not. I'm going to have to take some time to understand it because I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't think I've ever watched an F1 race in my life. I love F1. I love IndyCar. I love F1. I love NASCAR, obviously. I've watched plenty of F1 races, but I have no plans on playing DFS for it. Um I do I think do like Yeah, I do think I, there'll be an I, edge, but I don't have any plans to get into it right now. I like the the captain aspect that they have of it and I think they should do it for NASCAR too. Absolutely. That's how I so like the fantasy game that I used to run, that used to be like the basis of it. You'd have one driver that would score whatever they scored would be doubled. I yep. love that aspect of it cuz you really have to nail that guy. The dominator. Yeah. It's it's almost always the dominator, but it would be interesting 
if there was a way to do the captain, but it has to be relative to like salary somehow, because then it makes it even more interesting where, okay. Um, maybe it's like a multiplier based off of the driver's salary. So it's one and a half if, or double if it's like an expensive driver, but it can go all the way as low as like three or five X if it's uh, you know a, a bottom bin driver type thing. That would be a super interesting way to do it. Um, I, I don't exactly know the details of how that would work, but that makes picking your captain extra important because you don't just eye the dominator as your captain. You have to figure out which of the six drivers, and that's really a good way to have, you know, we, we still get duplicates, six drivers duplicated. And if you're looking for the captain as a way to differentiate those equal six lineups, you're still only probably going to have two drivers in contention for that captainship, maybe three, depending on the track, because it's going to be the expensive drivers that are going to be dominators. But if you had it scaled somehow to their salary or, or whatever, uh, then you could have all six drivers potentially be in line for the captainship, and that would differentiate even more. Mm-hmm. Do you find it weird that they that they threw F one on there literally like three days before, or like when's the first race? Five days before the first race. I do. Um, I maybe there was rumblings about it. I I haven't heard because I don't. I I wasn't. I planning on playing heard, F1 DFS, but yeah. I had I heard quite a few times last year that it was coming this year. Um just Makes from sense. some people. But and then like so I'm looking at it now. So you have the captain, then you have four other drivers and then you pick a team. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. I don't yeah. I see like I never got into F1 because like whenever I'd look at betting lines it'd just be two guys that were like minus 110 to win and then everybody else was and I'm like how is that even fun lately like, yeah it has been lately it's been like that between Hamlin and Verstappen but uh you know there's a there was a time there where the Red Bull and the Ferrari <laughs> you just and said the Hamlin. Mercedes Hamlin Hamilton I did say Hamlin didn't I <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Hamlin and Denny Hamilton <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there was a time when Denny Hamlin was in contention for the Formula One race. No, um, but, uh, you know, Hamilton and Verstappen, but there was a time where the, the Red Bull cars, the Mercedes cars, obviously, and even like the Ferraris could be in the mix for the win there. And uh, that could get three or four, even sometimes five or six drivers in, in a more of a, a small plus situation for a bunch of them. But Really, the last year or two, especially, it's kind of just been Hamilton and and, and Verstappen and uh, everybody else. Yeah, that's the the wins showing up on on the DraftKings driver sheet here. Ten wins for Verstappen, eight for Hamilton, and then one, two, three, four other drivers have one, and mm-hmm. that's it. And I'm assuming that's last year's. Yeah, yeah, um, that'd be last races. year's wins. Interesting. How many did Denny like, Hamlin have? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like looking at, so now I'm like clicking through some of these drivers. So like the the third highest priced driver. So they did the fantasy points. You know, if you click and you look at the history, and like these drivers are scoring. Like this guy's scoring eight, ten. This is weird. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have any plans on doing it right now or anytime soon, uh, especially while things are hectic with March Madness. But if there's some some slow time over the summer, maybe I'll I'll give it a go and try to build a model or something for it. But uh, I do think there's going to be some edge in that for people who know what they're doing. Yeah, especially early on. Oh, I yeah. think there always is when they introduce. Another thing, and I haven't gotten into it, and I don't know how closely you've followed it, but... DraftKings this year for NASCAR is doing the post qualifying salary line uh, mm-hmm. contest. Have you been paying attention to that? Because like regular regular NASCAR contests are filling early, yeah. except the the big GPP usually you know it's like maybe an hour or so before the race, but everything else is filling super quick. How are those doing? I haven't even I haven't even seen people you know providing content on those salaries because that's completely different. You're building completely different lines at that point. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, maybe there is an edge somewhere in there where, like, I think Ricky Stenhouse was like in the lower mid eight k range in the post qualifying salary this past weekend. Maybe there's edge there in like fading a Stenhouse or something. Um, that kind of situation, you know what I mean? But I haven't looked into it too much. Uh, I don't plan on it yet. Maybe if there's time on weekends going forward. Uh, I'll incorporate that into the content, but that would still require some behind the scenes work at action network slash fantasy labs to get those slates up as well. So stuff that's beyond my control of other than just creating a model, there needs to be stuff done on the, the front and the back end to, you know, populate those onto the optimizer, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I don't know if action slash fantasy labs, you know, Action Owns Fantasy Labs, has any plans on on doing that, I can bring it up. Um, but as of right now, I'm just sticking with the main slate. Mm-hmm. I think that's what most people are doing too. Because like I said, it's it's a completely different build. You know, you're, you're targeting completely different guys, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. I think that's going to be it. We don't have a lot to talk about with Atlanta because we don't know a lot. But we'll know more after this weekend. And like you said, they return to Atlanta in, Ju- in the middle of July. So it's going to be hot as shit. God, I feel bad for not only the fans, but the drivers. Yeah. Going going to Atlanta in July. But, um, but yeah, we'll get through Atlanta. And then we have our first road course race of the season coming up. Hopefully at a dry circuit of the Americas. So NASCAR dr- doesn't try to kill a couple drivers again like they did last year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was <laughs> speaking of killing drivers. I was worried about that tire that came off that uh who was it cody Ware hit that tire this past weekend at phoenix somebody i saw you tweet about it yeah i didn't i didn't see it It fox's broadcast was awful yeah as usual uh somebody's tire came off can't remember which drivers um and it was like you know bounced on the track and cody Ware ran over it and just like it did nothing to wear his car, which was good to see, you know, in terms of the, these composite bodies or whatever. It was nice. I didn't like last year or especially in past years, it would have ruined that front end of that car. I mean, he literally mm-hmm. just hit a tire at full speed, ran straight over it and nothing major happened there. How did but, he not but, miss it? But if I, he had no way of missing it, it happened right in front of oh, him, okay. you know, uh, I thought, I thought he just Cody weared it. And but if it had like bounced it. up, if, if it had bounced up in his hood, had gotten underneath it and shot it upward, that could have been a very bad situation. And that's why we have these four race suspensions. 
because tires and wheels coming off is a very dangerous potential. Three mm. spectators died in 1998 at Michigan Speedway for the IndyCar race when Adrian Fernandez hit the wall and his tire get launched over the catch fence. 1999, one year later, there was a massive wreck in the IndyCar race, uh, IRL race, I should say. So 98 was cart at Michigan, uh, and cart and IRL were both open wheel. They ended up merging again. So cart 98 Michigan. 99 Charlotte IRL it was a massive wreck, and, and somebody's tire came off. Another car hit it, launched it over the fence. Three fans killed. So three fans killed at Michigan. Three fans killed at Charlotte, one year apart. They've since obviously made improvements to catch fencing and all that to kind of get it higher and over the track a little more, et cetera. But it still could happen. If if that tire had bounced and Cody Ware had perfectly angled it, you never know if that thing could have gone up over the fence. Uh, so that's a dangerous situation. That's why we have four-way suspensions because we cannot have tires and wheels coming off. No, because, I mean, that's that's probably what. I'm, I'm trying to look it up how much those things weigh. I think with the tire and the wheel, it's probably about 50 pounds. Yeah. And if it's coming and, at you at 100 miles an hour. I mean, yeah. And it looks like you see it on TV and the tire's bouncing down the track and you're like, oh, you know, that tire's coming at your face. You ain't getting up for a while, if ever. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. you, you, you definitely can't happen. I know people think that these suspensions are, you know, ridiculous. And yeah, sometimes these car, these tires come off without, maybe there was a failure at some point, but a lot of it is, you know, the team just not getting the, the lug nut on tight and you gotta, you gotta get the message through somehow. So, um, yeah, right there with you. But anyway, I think that's going to do it. We'll cut this episode a little bit shorter than normal. And we'll head into Atlanta and hopefully see a good race. So good luck to everybody that's betting this weekend, that's playing DFS this weekend. I'm pretty sure both of our plans are to go very light on this and just see what happens. But we'll see how it goes. Yep, absolutely. Good luck and uh, enjoy the race and just enjoy the fun because we don't know what to expect. Yeah, exactly. Yep. See you guys. Thank <laughs>